Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. As we all know, the pace of technological innovation is one that's hard for most of us to understand or keep up with. The role of systems like AI and quantum computing will have an increasing impact on Australian society into the future. Factors like demography, political forces and Australia's role within the Pacific region are also sure to have a broad effect on what's in store for Australia in the next decade. My guest today is Rocky Scopoletti. He's a futurologist, a speaker, an author, and studies demographic change and how it influences our social, cultural, economic, and technological future. His new book is called Australia 2030, Where the Bloody Hell Are We? He joins me today to discuss how Australians think about the future and the major things that will impact our journey over the next decade. Rocky, thank you so much for joining me on Think Business Futures. Pleasure to be here, Stefan. Thank you. Now, Rocky, you're a futurologist. I'd never heard of a futurologist before researching this topic and researching you. What is a futurologist? Put simply, a futurologist is someone who researches and studies trends and then predicts how they might impact the world. And so my two areas of research interests for probably the last 20 years or so, Stefan, have been in the area of demographic change, specifically around youth and with a lot of the emerging technologies that many of which, you know, are now mainstream in terms of the way that we live, work and play. And more recently, technologies around the fourth industrial revolution, which will impact every industry, organisation, nation, and every person on the planet. Okay, what what drew you to researching the impact of, of youth? It's interesting when we look at research in the, in the fields of social science or demographics, and then we look at technology, often these two areas or fields are treated quite independent of one another. But the practical reality is, is that there's a demographic explanation on the back of any of these major technological surges that we've experienced over the last uh, 20, 30 years or since the internet, really. My fascination has really been about bringing those two things together and explaining why technological advancement is being fueled by new experiences coming from the youth. And up till more recently, my focus has really been on the millennial demographic, which has been those that are broadly born between 1980 to about 2000. But now we've got Gen Zs mm. coming on stream now, who are also now fueling the next surge, I guess, in technologies. And if we just look at the way that these demographics have really sort of fueled social media, for example, we've got to pinch ourselves to remind ourselves that these things weren't here 12 years ago. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's over 5 billion people on the planet who are connected through these devices. 
And so I think it's really important for us to, yes, get super excited about the technology because it is fantastic, right? And it will permeate all facets of society. But understanding how different demographic groups are fueling the digital journey, I think is even more fascinating. And it helps guide us, I think, then into being able to create all sorts of new services on the back of those. Okay. About sort of getting an understanding of the foundations of where we are and where we're going and using data and demography as a, as a baseline. Super important stuff. Let's talk about your book quickly, Rocky. It's called Australia 2030, Where the Bloody Hell Are We? Tell us a bit about the things that you explore in the book and, and, and the type of work you did that went into it. So it's a fascinating study into the attitudes of Australian professionals over the coming decade. And so by invitation, 673 Australian professionals, 170 of which classified themselves as CEOs or chairmen of boards or directors and the like, participated in the quantitative and qualitative study that I refer to as the Australia 2030 research And amongst other things, the research considered Australian professionals' attitudes towards the decade ahead and how how comfortable we felt about those developments. You know, how do we feel about the impact of technological and scientific developments on our personal, professional and family lives? Are we optimistic or pessimistic about technological and scientific advancements? You know, what parts of their lives are they expecting will change the most this coming decade due to technological and scientific developments? What do we think we're going to be experiencing over the decade ahead? How confident are we that our politicians and our business communities investing in the right areas? So it was a fascinating study to look at, again, how how we feel about the decade ahead. Mm, And collating the opinions and the thoughts of all these types of people is one thing, but how how do we use this information in a a practical sense? How do we apply it? And and what sort of questions do you sort of seek to answer through this research and, and, and the answers that you got from, you know, this group of 600 professionals? Yeah, so the research question I've been pursuing for probably some 20 years now, is a simple question of how do we increase our capacity to adapt to a world in accelerated change? Now, if we just think about what's happened in the last two years, the world over has experienced change on a unprecedented level. Mm. And so uh, thinking about that question then, you know, I really wanted to get to understand how, firstly, how Australian professionals feel about change. And so what's fascinating is that what the research revealed is that about 77% of Australian professionals felt positive about the speed of technological and scientific change over the coming decade, and only 8% felt negative. Now, I think this is a really important part of the Australian narrative. We've always been enthusiastic adopters of technology. That's why a lot of big US tech companies use Australia and also New Zealand as test markets for a lot of the new and emerging products that that are coming out. So I think it's important to just rebalance uh, away from thinking about technological advancements and scientific advancements in a negative narrative 
um, onto a much more positive narrative. Uh, you know, we can hear we hear a lot these days about the role of artificial intelligence, you know, job loss and the like. Uh, but we actually think that these technologies, uh, what the research showed is that we think that these technologies are going to create more jobs than what they will destroy. And so mm. that's what I mean about, I think, the Australian, within the Australian culture, I guess, is a very positive outlook on the role that technological and scientific advancements will play. And I think that's the first point to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then from that point, we can then explore, you know, many other interesting areas about where we think these advancements will change our lives and what we look forward to. And so, so what the research unveiled, for example, was that advancements in biotechnology in healthcare and nanotechnology, will, which will help us to resolve a lot of the illnesses that have not been able to have been treated as effectively as what we would want to do, is the most desirable areas that, and most exciting areas that people are looking forward to. And I'm sure that, you know, we've all been impacted by you know, directly or indirectly through illnesses, you know, in our family and friends, cancers and these other uh, areas that we've not been able to have precision medicines to uh, to treat against. You know, the other thing is, is artificial intelligence, as I, as I mentioned before, we, 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 you know, that's often associated with job loss when we, when we think about it. But the capacity to actually have technology that uh, when you put it w together with quantum computing can solve, you know, computational problems that today's technology would just take us, you know, 20, 30 or 50 years to solve. We'll be able to solve these problems very quickly, very efficiently. And so the way with which we think about, you know, advancing humanity is something that, came through in the research has been something that Australians are very, very excited and optimistic about. Mm, okay. Now, I think that potentially one of the reasons why people might have a bit of a doom and gloom attitude towards the concept of AI and, and job loss and things like that is because of, you know, we've got a history of films like The Terminator and stuff like that, and that was the depiction of what AI was in the 90s or, or, or whenever. However, you just mentioned then the confluence of quantum computing and AI to be able to solve some serious problems that face humanity. But, you know, for the layperson, it's difficult to, un to sort of understand exactly what you mean. It's easy for me to think about, all right, well, the machines have minds and they start sort of mowing down people in the streets <laughs> one day. But what sort of things are we talking about when we're when when we're talking about the problems that we can that we can address using things like quantum computing and AI? Yeah, well, it's a rightful question to be asking because if we think about data and we think about the rise of social media, you know, mobile our consumption of mobile apps, and then then all of a sudden, you know, three four years ago, all of a sudden we started becoming aware of the misuse in some sense of data that we were using through social media, for example, the Cambridge Analytica, for example, mm. uh, a case study with, with Facebook. 
you know, that resulted in a profound uh, deterioration in trust because although, you know, the the commercial arrangements, you know, might have been, you know, legal and okay, but it was, but, but, but the people who, whose data was being used mm. were unaware yeah. of its, of its use. And so the point I think here is that, you know, the overwhelming benefits that social media have been able to provide to the world also need to be governed because what's 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 happening right now is that these advancements are occurring so fast that our capacity to keep up and pause and think about those questions about you know how how these technologies and advancements should be used what will be their impact on society uh, a whole range of you know legal and other considerations we have to be able to speed those questions up to keep up with advancements rather than actually slow it, slowing things down. And so I think that's the same with artificial intelligence. You know, science fiction has played such an amazing role in invoking our imagination in many respects into, you know, the possibilities of technology. But as we can see now, you know, Siri or Alexa is a pretty harmless application of artificial intelligence and the point here is that they're not terminator type right no. so well <laughs> but so the technology itself it's it's how we apply the technology yeah across different aspects that we've you know we've really got to look toward you know as i mentioned before the use of artificial intelligence for advancements of our knowledge is something i'm you know, super excited about, you know, the use of that technology for, you know, autonomous vehicles, the use of that technology for robots, you know, walking the streets and the like may not be so desirable. Yeah. The point, the point is, is that in all democracies, these are the questions that we need to be asking and thinking because a lot of the advancements that are occurring are occurring at such a speed that some of them we may not be able to turn back mm. and say, actually, that's not what we want, want to do. Mm. And again, I think we, we can look at data and our use of mobile applications, privacy, uh, security, all of those things are, are great signposts that we need to be asking these questions now, not waiting till, uh, till later. Mm. Let's talk about the relationship between innovation and investment and these types of technologies coming to prominence in the future because when it comes to you know you get to the edge of ai to we talk we talk about automation we talk about job replacement we talk about autonomous vehicles and 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 things like that and these and these are things that that people are concerned about now i remember hearing sort of 5 years ago that it's going to be within the next decade when Tesla will have a fleet of autonomous trucks that, you know, are electrified that transport goods around the country, making the jobs of truck drivers redundant. We're a long way away from that happening still. And I guess the question is, do you think that there's some lag between innovation and investment from both government and business to to actually bring this technology to fruition and and to embed it into our lives as as we sort of move forward in the next decade? Yeah, so essentially we are on now a exponential curve 
when it comes to thinking about change and its relationship with time. And there's some really important laws, I guess, such as Moore's Law or Ray Kurzweil's The Law of Accelerated Change, which is all to do with the speed of change accelerating, as we've experienced it more so in the last decade, but even more so as to uh, in terms of how we look at, uh, look ahead. I think science fiction has always, you know, stimulated our minds about the future, but the future's coming at us much, much faster than ever before. And so advancements, for example, you know, in the areas of autonomous vehicles, well, you know, here in Sydney, we've got trains already running autonomously. You know, we've already, we are already using drones, for example, for a whole variety of different use cases. You know, some of the, some of the ones that I've found to be really super exciting are the ones where, you know, a drone can take a life vest out to someone who's caught up in a rip somewhere and drop a life vest down to them to save them. You know, the ability to use uh, drones for reconnaissance uh, in bushfires and other things, these technologies are already here uh, Mm. and the use cases for them are now being, you know, utilised, tested and and the like. And so, so I would say, you know, when it comes to thinking about our spaces let's just say and spaces might be you know our airspace spaces could be a building right using technology such as the internet of things to be able to you know manage temperature throughout a building much more efficiently to be able to manage energy much more efficiently you know our homes will become much more much smarter where you know uh, we will have the capacity to use lighting dynamically as we move through the house rather than for lights on in rooms that are not being used so you know all of these technologies are here i, I think what we will expect to see this coming decade is their you know how they scale out in terms of uh, in terms of their utilization mm. Where where do you see the timescale working? I mean, you, you mentioned the next decade. And, and also, I, I guess another question is, where is this sort of broad use application coming from in terms of these types of things? Because, you know, at the moment, the government's still facing pushback in investing in electric vehicle charging stations around the country and things like that. I, I mean, in terms of basic investment in technology and innovation, you've got to think that EV charging ports in you know regional places and stuff like that is a no-brainer and, and, and the technology is here, but you know there's still pushback from the other side of politics in certain areas and things like that. What are we talking about with a timescale? As you mentioned, the technology is here, but whose responsibility is it to drive it? How much of that lays on the government and how much of that lays on the market and on business? And what does the road to getting there look like to the to the full-scale adoption of these types of technologies that, as you mentioned, we already have here? Yeah, well, that was one of the key uh, insights in the Australia 2030 research in, that I published in the book was that Australian professionals feel that uh, Australia, inclusive of government and the private sector, was not investing adequately in terms of these technological and scientific um, advancements. Now, if we just look look back at last week, for example, uh, the Skills Summit, long time coming, (laughs) but, uh, but nonetheless, it's there. What a perfect place to begin. 
because what we've got to always remember is behind any advancement, technological or scientific, are humans. Uh, mm. And we are all staring into a decade ahead where we simply do not have the necessary supply of those skills to the emerging industries in the right quantities at the right time. So, so it was really terrific to see that initiative sponsored by government working with the private sector. And so, you know, if we look at um, energy as a great example, you know, the last decade, the politicisation of our uh, energy policy lost us a decade. If, if, if you're a, you know, venture capitalist in the United States, why would you invest in energy, for example, uh, initiatives in a country that is flip-flopping on, uh, on its energy policy? And so being able to provide policy stability, at least, uh, will invite um, investors to experiment in terms of innovation and the like here. And we have to do a lot more of that. Now, I've just <laughs> given you an example of where, where we weren't as famous as perhaps what we would have liked to have been. But let me give you the opposite now. Mm. If you look at space, look at what is possible when you get government and when you get the private sectors working collaboratively with what we're doing in South Australia and the Northern Territory when it comes to Australia now ramping up our interests when it comes to the emerging space industry. One of our endowed uh, resources that we have here in Australia is our location mm. in the Southern Hemisphere, right? So we've got a very strong pipeline now of projects that are, that are attracting foreign investment into our space industry here in Australia. So that shows you what happens when you do get government and when you do get the private sectors and the investment community collaborating on these long-term, you know, projects and uh, and developments. You you touched on, you know, green energy and innovation in in energy and environmental technologies earlier. Do you think that this long-termism will be the case going forward when it comes to that relationship between government and the private sector? Do you see the politicisation being an issue that we'll just never be able to shake off? Look, I can't really answer that because uh, I can't speak, mm. you know, on, on how future, you know, governments might behave. But if we look at the past decade to look at the consequences of when we do get you know, policy uncertainty and how detrimental it can be. And that's why Australia, in many respects, you were talking about EVs before. You know, if you look at other countries around the world, they're much more advanced mm. than what we are. And that's what I mean about it's not the technology. The technology is there, yeah. right? So what's what, what's getting in the way here? Well, it's getting it, it, what's getting in the way is, you know, uncertainty associated with making investments in a new and emerging area and, and you need to attract entrepreneurship, you need to attract investors uh, and that's what they want. And so I think that will be one of the tests, I think, for any political party, be, be that at a federal level or at a state level, this coming decade. And again, it's because there are so many developments and advancements occurring across a, a very wide front 
of technologies that are going to require a lot of collaboration between the private sector, industries. Look at what Australia has done with cochlear implants and how we've been able to change the world from technologies that were, you know, advanced here and the difference that they've made to people's lives right around the world. Uh, there's no reason why we can't do that, you know, a hundred, a thousand fold, right? Uh, but it requires the collaboration um, between those, uh, between the government and the, uh, or the public and private sectors, you know, to bring those things to life. Mm. It is fascinating, Rocky. We've only got a, a small amount of time left, so I, I want you to take the lead to, to to wrap us up. There's so many things that you cover in this book, from demographics to technology and innovation to you know Australia's place in the Pacific and the changing the changing nature of our region. Looking ahead to 2030. What do you think some of the most important factors are? And I'll just allow you free reign to wrap us up. So, uh, being the eternal optimist, I'm I'm very uh, comforted by the culture within Australians and our attitude towards advancements mm. uh, in technology and, and and science. And I think if we get the skills areas going well, and so if we can supply these skills to the right industries in the right volumes at the right times i think you'll see australia making a significant contribution to the advancement of humanity this coming decade more so than what we've done in other decades before we've got an amazing capacity to embrace change technologically or scientifically, which is different from other countries. And I think embracing that culture, getting that culture mobilised from an entrepreneurship perspective, I can see Australia making a significant contribution in all of these new and emerging areas. We've got lots to look forward to, uh, but it's going to require a different leadership model. It will require systems leadership. And we saw, we saw evidence of systems leadership, as I mentioned before, when we look at space, uh, even when we look at the way with which you know, Australia responded at the front end of COVID, you know, that was systems leadership in full flight, where you had, you know, experts in all of their various areas collaborating at scales that we've never seen before and hopefully never have to see again before in that setting. But imagine if you mobilised that systems leadership mm. uh, in terms of the opportunities that are now here and present for us, that is something really exciting and something to look forward to. Absolutely. Rocky, it's uh, it's really refreshing speaking to you about this because it's easy and a lot of people do pay, take the sort of the pessimistic view. So listening to you speak about what's coming, the the potential and, and also the, the optimism of the Australian public and Australian professionals is, is really refreshing. It's been an absolute pleasure. Rocky, thank you so much for joining me on Think Business Futures. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guest, Rocky Scopoliti. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.